0: Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talk Back Gardening. Great to have your company this morning. Good morning, John Lamb.
1: Yes, good morning, Deb, and good morning, gardeners. And I think many gardeners have been very, very busy Uh, growing their own uh, fruit and vegetables. And that will be our theme this morning. We're going to talk to uh, horticultural consultant uh, John Stevens shortly. And John has got a focus very much on home garden uh, fruit and vegetables. So I thought this morning we will pose the question to John, let's take a typical backyard. It's got lots of lawn and maybe a few roses around the side and a few uh, uh, other shrubs that are not uh, the most brilliant. Can you take those out and change your backyard into a productive fruit and vegetable garden? That'll be the challenge from John very, very shortly. Then later on in the program some of the results from Mm -hmm. this year's, the 2023 uh, end of tomato season survey. (laughs) It's been going now for 15 years, Deb. Wow. And would you believe it was only launched yesterday morning in the Good Gardening newsletter, and uh, there are 570... uh, submissions or uh, the surveys that have been completed by about 8 o'clock this morning or 7 o'clock this morning. Isn't
0: that incredible? And it is open for some time. I think it's open until Monday the 3rd of April. That's right. So yes. you've got the next week to jump on and, and do it but that's a great result in such a short space it just, of time. It
1: indicates that people are very very interested in growing their own. The nice thing about the uh, tomato survey, it's quite unique I reckon. It's been going for 15 years and it, what it does, it tracks what the good gardeners are doing the top performers and it's contrasting those with those that have had a disappointing season and we can go through it in terms of uh, what are the varieties or in particular is it seasons and uh, I think it's probably interesting that this season there's probably as many as almost as many as last season last season was one of the best tomato seasons for many years and I was staggered absolutely and it was all to do with the fact that there wasn't any heat last year now, the same thing is happening this year. It may not be as, uh, as productive as a season, but what I'm getting, the feedback I'm getting already, is the fact that because it's a much cooler season, we're not having the wipeouts from heat waves, and the importance of shade on tomatoes, I think, is really coming to the fore. But uh, the other thing, of course, is because it was a cool season, <laughs> the tomatoes didn't ripen quickly yeah. enough, and there were a lot of problems with fruit set and with uh, probably uh, uh, the tomatoes growing very, very slowly and uh, just slow ripening. And because of that, I've already lined up one of our top uh, tomato agronomists, uh, Dominic Cavallaro, who's from the Virginia tomato growers and provides service there. I've already put him on notice and say, hey, listen, we want you in to the studio. So when we wrap it up in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be able to have uh, Dominic actually commenting and saying, Okay, so it was a cooler season. This is why.'" And Dominic also asked, could we also include questions on uh, what were the pests problems and white fly is coming through as a big issue and also leaf diseases is Mm -hmm. coming through as as a very significant issue. And so... uh, uh, they're, they're what I'd call emerging issues, mm-hmm. which uh, we need to address. And I think Dominic, I think, will be very, very valuable in actually as we go through the survey in, in detail. We're just sort of taking extracts at the moment. But uh, anyway, the main thing is, if you haven't filled in the survey, do it now.
0: Yes, in fact, if you haven't signed up for John Lamb's Good Gardening newsletter, do it now. Um, And it will arrive every Friday. In fact, when it arrives for you next Friday, you can just jump on and do the survey. If you've already got it, you can jump on and do the survey now. It looks like you're going to get loads of responses this year, John, to Tomato Season Survey 2023. I'll have a couple of March ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little bit later in the program. And, um, of course, we've got our very special guest joining us now, John, because cost of living pressures are very much biting, aren't they? Lots of people finding it hard to make do with what they're earning or what they're living on. And one of the big costs in all of our lives is the food that we eat.
1: Fruit and vegetables. And those of you that do the weekly shopping would be well aware of the spiralling price, particularly of vegetables, although fruit also is is, is relatively dearer. And, and that's good from a, a, if you're growing it and producing it and getting a reasonable return. But if you have to buy it, uh, maybe... It's possible that there's a lot of those things that you like eating uh, Maybe you could grow your own And John Stevens is one of our very experienced uh, consulting horticulturalists And John has focused very much on home garden fruit and vegetables So let's say good morning to John uh, And uh, welcome to Talk Back Gardening oh,
2: uh, Good morning, uh, um, John And... Uh yes that that's true uh i get so many uh, inquiries from people wanting to know how they can grow their own uh, fruit and vegetables and that uh, many of them are new gardeners who've never um, thought about doing it before but Now we're almost seeing it as a necessity.
1: Okay, so let's take a look at that and let's get a typical backyard with lots of lawn and shrubs and things like that. And uh, we're going to convert it into a productive fruit and vegetable garden. And maybe could we start uh, talking to you yesterday and so you were saying, John, before you start, we maybe should highlight what not to do rather than what to do.
2: Yes, uh, it's very tempting for someone, and and indeed I've had uh, some of my listeners on my program uh, get terribly enthusiastic and talk about uh, racing out into the garden and digging holes in the lawn and planting fruit trees. Uh, Whilst that might be a great temptation, uh, it's really not a good idea. You need to sort of plan ahead and uh, start to think about what you need to do.
1: Why not put it, it, just a hole in the lawn and, and, and start start that way? What, what would go wrong?
2: Well, for one thing, um, a lot of people don't realise that um, if you uh, plant uh, trees in a lawn, the grass is very competitive and uh, all trees have feeder roots uh, quite close to the surface. And whilst it might look quaint uh, on a postcard or, or a pretty picture, Uh, having fruit trees surrounded by lawn is is not a really good idea if you want uh, a good volume of fruit because you really do get too much competition from the grass and the tree Uh, and indeed I've actually sort of documented this that trees growing in lawns fruit trees I'm talking about here uh, produce less fruit whereas uh, fruit trees planted in uh, an open garden with mulch and that sort of thing, uh, are much more likely to produce a, a bigger crop of fruit.
1: So before we take a look at what to do, maybe get rid getting rid of the lawn, what's the best way? You've got to, and probably 90% of the lawns in South Australia are either cooch, buffalo or kakuyu, which are runners, and, and how do you get rid of the lawn and convert it into a garden?
2: Well, uh, I suppose the obvious way is people uh, rush out and spray the whole lot with Uh, Roundup, but there is a a more organic and actually quicker and easier way of doing it. Uh, In the past, many years ago in one of the various houses that we moved into, and it was a typical backyard of lawn, I hired a turf cutter and uh, went backwards and forwards across the uh, whole area and took the turf off and then stacked the turf uh, in a corner of the garden in a heap uh, and covered it with uh, plastic, uh, turn it upside down first. And uh, then in the future, that will turn into uh, compost for you. And in the meantime, uh, you may need to dig out or spot spray any little bits of grass that were missed. But then you can um, buy in uh, some uh, compost uh, if you feel uh, it's necessary, and, and especially if you're starting from fresh and get it from a reputable dealer and uh, uh, spread that over the garden and uh, uh, well water it and then dig it in. John, you
1: live down Victor Harbour Way, um, and I guess you've got fairly sandy soil, but again, if we take a look at the majority, a lot of the Adelaide garden areas, uh, uh, the suburban areas, the soil is hard, it sets hard during summer, and it goes probably pretty sticky during winter. Uh, is there a, a magic chemical out there that perhaps people should put onto the soil before they actually sort of, or in the process of improving the soil before they start planting?
2: Yeah, well, uh, you're right, John, and and the obvious thing to use in South Australia is gypsum. Now, the reason for that is that, uh, as uh, a lot of people do realise, soils in South Australia are predominantly uh, alkaline clay, and the worst thing you can do uh, uh, is copy the eastern states where they have acid soils and they use lime or dolomite. Um, In South Australia... Uh, definitely unless you are in a a spot that you know the soil is acid uh in most of south australia use gypsum and gypsum has the effect of of breaking up the clay and making it more open so in the winter the water drains away and it doesn't get so sticky and gluggy and in the summer it doesn't set rock hard so uh, gypsum is the important thing to do and for an average South Australian garden uh, I would recommend uh, um, one to two large handfuls uh, adult handfuls of gypsum per square meter. okay uh, so it's, not, it's it's not an exact quantity.
1: No, okay, but it, it, it's very, very valuable and it's almost like magic if in, in, you've got very, very clay soils. And if people are not used to gardening terms, gypsum, if you go to your garden centre you'll find it in little bags or big bags, probably about 20, 25 kilogram bags and uh, you just spread it on the ground, get going. Okay, so there's the soil, we've got rid of the lawn, uh, we've helped to start improving the soil. Location, John, an, an, an aspect is probably something that's Pretty critical before you get going.
2: Yeah look uh, uh, one of the important things that people overlook is that quite often uh, particularly in suburbia uh, you may find and especially these days that there's a block of flats or or even a large house next door which casts a shadow over your garden uh, uh, occasionally for most of the day or there may be very large trees uh, next door that cast a shadow um, either way uh, it's important to realize that most fruit trees prefer full sun uh, and uh, and indeed the same applies to vegetables now there are uh, of course a few uh, trees that will tolerate a little bit of shade and some vegetables citrus trees um, in particular must have full sun there, there's there's no two ways about it uh unless you have your citrus trees planted in full sun location uh you probably may not be able to grow citrus you must they must have full sun but it, and indeed most other citrus uh, sorry most other fruit trees would also be better off in full sun to get a decent crop and as far as the aspect goes to um you need to uh, consider the direction of strong winds. So you may need to think about some sort of screens, either high fence or screen planting uh, to protect from winds, especially Hot north
1: winds. Okay, and the guest this morning is John Stevens, a very experienced horticulturalist, and uh, we're converting a backyard. It doesn't mean to say you have to grow your fruit and veggies no. in the backyard. In
0: fact, Colette of Clearview has picked up that very point on the text line it says, My veggie garden is in the front yard with Banksias, bottle brush, tree dahlias, finger limes, interspersed with zinnias, cosmos, tomatoes, okra pumpkins, eggplant zucchini, Jerusalem artichokes, garlic onions, and ox tons lilies. I can't even go through what you've got in the backyard, Colette, but an equal amount of great
1: OK, parents. and we'll come back to John very, very shortly and take a look at uh, the kind of things that you can put in your garden. So uh, how do you work out what, uh, if you've got limited t- time or limited space, what do you grow in terms of fruit and vegetables?
0: Absolutely. But if you would like to speak to John, call in now on one three hundred triple two eight 222 891 we have got him for another 10 minutes or so, and you can ask him your questions directly. You're on Talkback Gardening with Deb Tribe and John Lamb on ABC Radio Adelaide. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. We are Talkback Gardening about turning your yard into a productive food bowl this morning. John Stevens, horticulturalist and member of the Rare Fruit Society, is our Special guest with, of course, our resident expert, John Lamb. And we're asking for your questions, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. And Jan on the text line, John, says, I saved $400 in the last year growing my own organic fruit and veg. Take away the cost of the seeds and plants, compost and water, I'm still way ahead in saving money. The taste is obviously fab and it's a a great, healthy and joyous pastime. Highly recommended.
1: That's a great summary of why people want to grow their own fruit and vegetables. Apart from the fact that if you grow them yourself, you know that they're safe to eat and uh, they certainly taste best because they're fresh.
0: Exactly right. So we want your questions on, I guess, is it preparing your garden, what to
1: grow? Yes, we'll take a look at what to grow very, very shortly, Deb. But uh, if you're starting a garden, maybe in the last 12 months ago, and you've run into a problem, uh, John Stevens is the bloke that probably can help you uh, get through that problem. But there are a lot of issues out there, if you'd like.
0: Yes. Well, look, we've got Catherine from Burnstone. Catherine, you need advice on moving an orange tree. Is it because you're wanting to, to grow a productive garden? That's right, Deb. So we've got um, a small orange tree that was in a pot for many years and it's been planted into the garden in the shade. And I obviously I've just been listening and I need to move it to the full sun, but I'm just a bit worried about how and when to do that.
1: John Stevens, there's a question for you.
2: Definitely uh, resist, uh, I suppose you could almost get away with it if you did it immediately, but in general, it's better to uh, move citrus trees during spring, summer, and very early autumn. Uh, this okay. year you might, you might get away with it if you did it now, but uh, certainly don't leave it any later because if you move okay. citrus trees in winter, uh, then they're going to suffer and uh, they may even die.
1: How would you go about okay. moving it, John?
2: Uh, well you me- need to make sure that uh, you go out to uh, the drip line, which is basically uh, where the outside edge of the leaves, if you imagine yeah. a circle and and dig uh, uh, down uh, deep enough uh, and go round and round and until you've got a ball sort of or a circular um, uh, area uh, and then uh, start levering it up from uh, um, a a spade depth until you've got a a decent sized ball of uh, soil around it and then uh, it goes without saying prepare the new hole first uh, and then put it in okay
0: thanks i have a couple of very old apple and pear trees that are coddle moth they've got to be 50 70 years old Um, they're not productive. Would it be better to take them out and put new ones in?
2: Um, Without seeing the trees, it's hard to say, but uh, it's interesting to note that uh, not all fruit trees uh, are long-lived and some are apples and pears can, with good care and uh, feeding and watering and pruning as required, uh, can live to uh, up to 100 years or more in age. Um, Some fruit trees like peaches, for example, are short lived and they have a a commercial production life of only about seven years. But uh, without seeing the apple and pear trees, uh, you could try cutting them back hard in uh, winter and then moving them.
0: Okay. thanks very much. Thanks very much for your call. Uh, Much appreciated there, uh, Catherine. Now, Helen from Collinswood, you need some advice on fertilising, your raised veggie bed. Yes, good morning to you all. Um, I've got
3: raised veggie beds. I'd like to plant my winter vegetables today, actually, while the weather is good because it's supposed to be raining tomorrow. I haven't prepped the veggie beds yet, and I'm just hoping if I sprinkle a bit of dynamic lifter on and a bit of compost and then plant straight into there, whether that will be okay? Uh,
2: well, uh, I'm an organic gardener uh, entirely uh, and I can only tell you what I use. I use either dynamic lifter or Nutrog, or indeed there's other brands on the market. They're all based on uh, chicken manure and those pellets are all reliable and good to uh, use. They're very high in nitrogen, so they're ideal for uh, veggies. But uh, one thing, and the compost, of course, is a good idea too, but one thing you may have overlooked is you need to have a, a small sprinkling of complete mineral mix uh, in order to make sure that the veggies get uh, a, a good dose of uh, necessary minerals
1: I think that's very sound information there, John. And uh, just getting the, the nutrition right before you start, I think, is very important. And whether you go, you're organic, you can now get uh, what you'd call organic fertilizers specifically for fruit and vegetables. They've been blended with sufficient of, in particular, the phosphorus, which is often missing from some, uh, or, and also the potash, uh, from some of the organic products. So getting one that's specifically for fruit and vegetables, whether it's organic, and uh, of course, there's a lot of the manufactured or chemical chemicals, which are very specifically blended. Um, And I think maybe we just need to continue. We've got more questions here, there. Well, no,
0: just on the text line, someone asked this question. We're planting our Brussels sprouts this morning in Macclesfield, Adelaide Hills any tips? So fairly general from Danny there.
1: Well my comment would be that you're too late. Brussels sprouts are the type of things that uh, in the hills really need to be started back in uh, planting the seeds back in December.
0: When the soil's Uh, very
1: warm. uh, uh, Yeah uh, yeah. well the thing is a Brussels sprout takes a long time to produce a frame. Uh, It's got to have a big framework so it's got to build a big stalk uh, central stem and all its leaves and it's not until it does that that it uh, actually starts to produce the little sprouts. And even here on the plains, I would not be putting in Brussels sprouts seeds and I would probably be last call for seedlings uh, because uh, if you don't get a good frame before the cold weather, you're not going to get sprouts. Have you uh, into sprouts at all, John? Uh,
2: Yeah, I have grown them. Uh, Look, in general, I I totally agree with you, but uh, there are people possibly in uh, northern suburb areas. Uh, uh, my uh, daughter-in-law lives uh, a bit further north, and she gets away with. Look, um, yeah. In general, I, I agree with John that. But uh, one of the things I guess about wherever you garden, even on in, in South Australia, you get. Uh, I guess you call it a microclimate area and you might be able to get away with growing things uh, in your area uh, that uh, might not be typically uh, recommended. A a good example of this is at Victor Harbour, I have a very successful cherry tree that produces huge crops every uh, year, Um, but theoretically it shouldn't do as well because my soil was originally pure sand and I get salty winds and uh, much colder winters than the, uh, a lot of other areas. Uh, but I also get away with uh, growing the joyous and I've got a banana tree and uh, uh, several guavas. So uh, I guess that's the other thing, get to know your area. And a good idea, if you're not sure, is to walk around your suburb and have a, a nose or even... Uh, If you feel brave enough, knock on the door and ask people uh, what fruit trees they've got uh, or... uh uh, people are usually quite uh, enthusiastic in giving away advice if if someone asks them.
1: That's right. And again, make use of your local garden centre in a lot of areas. Yes. Uh, you've got good, even regional areas, you've got good local garden centres, and they are just uh, uh, full of I- information as to... because I mean, they sell the plants, and if they don't grow, people tell them, so they know what's <laughs> more likely to be successful. John, we need to sort of just move on, uh, uh, I suppose, um, people want to get maximum value out of the space. And where fruit trees are concerned, your thoughts on growing fruit trees versus your traditional size trees, how effective are the small or the dwarf fruit trees, particularly in putting them in containers?
2: Yeah, look, uh, I've got uh, uh, quite a large number of uh, dwarf fruit trees. I've now got Uh, four dwarf apple trees and three dwarf pear trees all doing very well and the apples in particular which have been in a few years now are producing huge crops but the trees are in the ground and they're they're only about two and a bit meters high and about a meter and a half wide I, I only have to give them a very light trim in summer when the fruit finishes and they're very successful. I've also got uh, some fruit trees, including two native limes in large tubs. And I've got a dwarf, uh, um, a lemon tree in a tub and uh, several guavos uh, in large tubs. So uh, yes, growing trees in tubs is very successful, but you need to make sure you've got a really good quality uh, premium mix and make sure you keep up with the food and the water.
1: So you can have a very, very productive fruit and vegetable garden, and uh, the the value, I suspect, of the dwarf fruit trees, John, is uh, the big... Uh, the Achilles heel for fruit in most gardens are the birds. It's Try to come to grips with the birds. And at least if you've got a dwarf fruit tree and you can keep it at a reasonable height, only you know, two, two and a half metres, as John has done, it's very easy to put a, a, a netting, a, a bird netting over your trees to protect them from damage. Uh, are, are birds a problem for you, John?
2: Uh, they can be, uh, but the other alternative uh, which is an, another step and i agree that obviously the dwarf trees are easier to uh, put a uh, a light frame over the top if necessary or even just drape the net over but make sure you tie it round the trunk at the bottom birds are pretty smart and uh, uh, they'll find a way in if they can <laughs> and the other thing the other thing that's important is to use uh, the modern, uh, smaller uh, opening uh, netting that's snow white, and and that prevents uh, birds getting caught in it and dying a horrible death. But the other thing is I've got two big cages, which basically look like aviaries, uh, and I've got uh, two plum trees in uh, one of them, and... Uh, uh, I've got another smaller cage over the three dwarf apples which are planted close together. And that's, I guess, is the ultimate solution.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's yep. commitment, John. Yes, and uh, I, you obviously have a lovely garden down there and you get a lot of pleasure out of it just on nets. Uh, if you are buying nets uh, for kicking the birds out, make sure you get a, a net that's specifically for birds. Uh, there's some awful stories about Uh, birds in particular getting caught in the nets and the other factor with nets is at the end of the season for heaven's sake take the nets off don't leave them there during the growing season John Stevens it's time to say fare thee well and thank you very much for your contribution love talking to you just uh, you're just uh, a lovely gardener and you're so willing to share it with so many other people so thank you for this morning's contribution
2: no that's fine uh, john and debbie it's my absolute pleasure Uh, and i was happy to help out
0: thank you john we'll get you back on as we always do thanks so much uh john stevens horticulturalist uh, joining us on how to convert land that you might have in your garden either as lawn grass or maybe unused Mm -hmm. or with ornamentals into a food bowl to feed you and as many others as you can possibly feed. We are going to go talkback gardening into general talkback gardening calls next. The phone number is 1300 222 I still have a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away later in the program. John, on the text line, this texter says, developers and demolition companies. When a home is demolished and the land is cleared for what they're calling Lego shoeboxes, the block is levelled. This results in rich, fertile soil where plants once grew becoming mixed up with broken bricks, glass and metal spread over the entire land area. This should be criminal. Why can't they uh, the bulldozed, rich topsoil be piled in a corner? To be deposited once the concrete foundations are formed.
1: Yes, and it's possible. If you know that it's going to be your place that they're clearing, the block they're clearing it, you can ask for that. And certainly I would be encouraging councils to say, listen, if you're going to clear a block, you've got to preserve that very valuable commodity which Mm. is on top called topsoil.
0: Look, we are globally looking at soil as being the future for our survival. I don't understand why it's not given more prominence. It certainly is on our Talkback Gardening program. Um, And this text on the issue of uh, trees and birds and fruit says, I heard a woman who put spare fruit on a tray next to her fruit trees for her birds. They leave the fruit on the trees alone. Well, that's, that's a possible. It's a lovely answer. story,
1: but whether it's in, in practice it works, I'm not too sure.
0: <laughs> well, give us a call for Talkback Gardening on 1300 222 891. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia, and Broken Hill. Love your Talkback Gardening calls on 1300 222 891. Leonie is in O'Halloran Hill. Now, what's going on with your crepe myrtle, Leonie? Um, I've been a bit remiss. I've got a um, staked to a metal steak and the steak's been rubbing on the trunk of the crepe myrtle, so I've got like a substantial wound or abrasion and now I've noticed uh, white mouldy speckles on the, the leaves of the crepe myrtle. Just wondering what I need to
3: um, spray something with it and treat the treat the wound or the abrasion. All right. How
1: big is the wound on the crepe myrtles?
0: Oh gosh, um, it's getting up there, John. Um, I don't know. Um, maybe five inches. It's getting it's quite wide and deep.
3: And the bark the, has actually
1: the... been sort of removed so that uh, the other bark. Yeah, the bark... bark's
0: dropped off naturally. Yeah.
1: Okay, so is it just the out with bark? You've got sort of an outer layer, and then you've got what I call the business, where the sap flows up and backwards, uh, up and down, and then behind that you've got hard wood. Um, so, have you has it damaged back to the hard wood, or yes, is it? It, yes, it has. All right, yeah. okay. That being the case, I think it's worth doing something. Um, it would be worthwhile, I think, getting. Uh, some newspaper or maybe some paper towels and dampen it down uh, mm. uh, enough to sort of cover that area. And then I'd be oh, getting okay. some plastic, uh, just ordinary old plastic, so that you're using the plastic to hold the damp newspaper oh, yes. Uh, yes. next to the, the the trunk and just leave it there. It will repair itself. The tree will repair itself, but just by moistening the, the paper and then uh, wrapping it up, and that just holds the, the moisture in around the trunk so it doesn't dry out too quickly. And at that stage, you probably find it'll take 12 months For it's to start to repair and in 12 months time if you took the the wrapping off you'll probably find that in the area around where the bark uh, has been damaged uh, uh, you'll find that it's starting to uh, produce new bark and it'll eventually cover up that area and in the meantime the bare area will also be sort of hardened off by the tree itself so you don't get any damage later on. Um, so that's the uh, p- first part of it. There was a second part of the question, wasn't there?
0: Uh, now, I've noticed on the, uh, the bottom of the leaves, um, I've got... Oh, the powdery, powdery mildew, leaf. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right,
1: have uh, you got one of the newer crepe myrtles, or is it a old, very uh, old-fashioned one? No, so
0: no, it's the
2: new one. Uh, is that the Lago uh, uh, With the Nova. dark leaves? Uh,
1: yes, yes. <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, the Achilles Hill. There's a, a new after dark, uh, very, they call them dark leaves, but vi- variation on our theme in terms of the names. But it, it's, oh, a beaut- the, um,
3: a yeah. it's a this is a Suix. Yes. It's hot pink.
1: Flowering. Oh, okay. Well, if it's one of those, uh, it shouldn't get the powdery mildew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, powdery, uh, we come back to uh, crepe myrtles. They were lovely trees, but they used to come down with powdery mildew. And then in, in came a whole new range of powdery mildew-resistant crepe myrtles, and they're brilliant. And uh, in the last couple of years, there's been a, another type coming in, and they're little dwarf crepe myrtles and they've got these dark uh, leaves, and they have yes, brilliant obviously. flowers on yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. But they uh, get plastered with powdery mildew. They haven't got the resistance of uh, the varieties that came in about 20 or 30 years ago. So uh, the important thing is what to do, and I would be uh, probably getting probably one of the eco-fungicides... Okay. eco fungicides uh, right. there 's a, a couple of them out there, but they 're basically uh, uh, j- they 're not uh, based on uh, chemicals like a, a copper you could use copper if you wanted to, but I think uh, an eco fungicide and spray it thoroughly. Um, get one of those little trigger uh, packs to oh, sort yes. of put spray for spraying. Now, these little trigger, the, the ones that work from a trigger, um, oh, yes, they're, yes, effect, yes. they're effective. But it's much better to get a pressurised one if you're mm-hmm. uh, uh, going to do any spraying uh, and fungal diseases are going to be a problem. You get mm. uh, It's only maybe it's a half a litre size, and it's got a little yes. pump on it, and you pump it up, and it squirts out uh, evenly. Uh, and it's very important, particularly with things like fungal diseases. But mm. spraying thoroughly this weekend, if you possibly can, be prepared yeah. uh, to put on another spray in a couple of weeks' time. You'll find as the season comes through, new fungal diseases blow in, and oh, yes, those yes. crepe myrtles are very, very susceptible to powdery okay, mildew. Right.
0: Spray the whole tree, John? Yes. The whole, oh, 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 okay, all right then. Great. Yeah. Thanks very much, Leonie, for the call. Jane's in Coromandel Valley. Jane, you've got some brambles there. You there, Jane? Hello? Nope. Jane's not there. Ralph, is it, are you there, Jane? Yeah, all oh, right. Hi. hi. <laughs> hi. Yes. Yeah. yeah, hi. I've got some brambles. Um, they're quite dense because I uh, didn't get
3: around to pruning them in that last year. How far back can I prune them and is now the time to do
1: it? Righto. Uh, what kind of brambles and when did they, uh, when were they, or have they already been harvested? Oh, they're very early fruiting prior to Christmas. Oh, okay. Um, you don't have a problem. Righto. Well, um, do you know which type you've got? <laughs> Not the, off the top. Uh, it's um like youngberries and uh, things. Are they, are variations on the blackberries, yes. Yes. Uh, there are two different types, but uh, let's assume that you've got... Uh, uh, well, no, we can't assume it, can we? Uh, I would be cutting them back. Look at the oldest stems, and you might sort of have a real thicket. You're looking at it, and you're looking at the base, and the oldest stems... Chop those back completely yeah. and then uh, you might find that there are some nice, new, strong, vigorous growths and they might be up to a metre or even longer. Um, look after those and say what you need is probably uh, uh, five or six uh, or seven uh, new canes and just take the tips of those. And then you'll mm-hmm. find that there's still a lot of little thin thickets there. Just uh, they haven't grown too much. They're not strong and vir- virile. Take those out altogether. Chop them off at ground level. So what you've done is taken out the old. You've taken out the rubbish. And what you are left is nice, strong, new canes. You've just taken the tips back or taken them back by 20%. That sets them up for next year.
0: Great. Okay.
1: And now's the time to do it? Oh, yes. Yep, yeah, excellent. Okay. Perfect.
0: Got You've got your day sorted, Jane. Thanks very much for calling. And we'll go to Hawthorne now. Ralph, um, you want to fertilise your fruit trees.
3: Yes, I've got uh, quite a variety of fruit trees, uh, including you know um, orange, mango, uh, guava and um, mango. Just wonder, if there is there one fertiliser for all
2: or do I have to use various different fertilisers?
1: Are you organic, or doesn't it not really matter?
2: Well, it doesn't really matter. Yes, um, and, and these are all young uh, young trees. All right. Um, I did uh, break up the clay, and put gypsum as per your previous uh, guess. Uh, yeah,
1: said. that's good. All right, and. Um, don't be afraid to use gypsum uh, 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 maybe on an annual basis for the first 2 or 3 years till you get the soil back into really good condition uh, so i would prefer if it was mine even though i go as organic as i possibly can in terms of fruit trees uh, you can't go past or you can go past but uh, it's, i would suggest that uh, the chemical fertilizers which have been blended specifically for fruit trees and vegetables it contains all the right nutrients, and most important, they're in the right proportion. And uh, Mm. many of the organics don't have enough either phosphorus or potash. And uh, so uh, some of them do. There's some good quality ones out there. But uh, I would go for a, a good quality organic fer- uh, chemical fertiliser. And if you put it in now, it's got time. It'll take a couple of weeks be, to be converted into a form that the plants can use. And uh, the plants, the fruit trees need it now, not later on. Uh, because as the soil cools down, uh, the ability of the plants or the trees to take the nutrients in uh, slows down. And the the reason I say that rather than the the chicken manure pellet type things is because they also, if you put them on the ground, nothing happens. They've got to be broken down by the soil microbes into a form that the plant can use, and that can take three, four or longer weeks, and at that stage... Soil temperatures have gone from 20 down to about 16 Mm -hmm. and instead of the nutrients going straight into the tree now or very soon, um, you're putting on this fertiliser and it's not being utilised until uh, late in the season and it's just got to sit there and probably grow lots of weeds during winter.
3: Can you recommend any
2: particular brand?
1: No, no, I'm not going to do that on air, but you'll find that if you go into a garden store or a hardware store and ask them, they they will sell you reputable brands. And if you go for a reputable brand, you'll find that they are all very, very effective.
3: But but number of them have di- different amount of nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. It, can you give me any, any of those combinations, what it must have?
1: Uh, righto. So uh, I would be going for something that's got probably about uh, 10% uh, nitrogen and probably about 6 phosphorus and 10 potash. In other words, the nitrogen... And often you'll find most of the fertilizers you'll buy will have a high nitrogen and probably a high phosphorus and a low potash. And that's the K at the end, NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and K is for potash. Mm. And you need potash if you're growing fruit and vegetables.
0: I always have a dif- difficulty with potassium versus potash. Um, anyway, let's not get down that one. Thanks, Ralph. Good luck with that. Now, Travis is in Millbrook. Travis, where's Millbrook?
1: Up in the hills.
3: Yeah. Yes, yes. Hi, John. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I've got a ficus in a pot. It's a very large pot, but I'm not exactly sure the size of it. And during the week, just overnight, literally half of it, the leaves have just turn yellow. Um, and yeah, we were all just a bit bamboozled as to what might
1: have happened. It happened overnight, pretty much. And yeah, like it's...
3: within forty-eight hours, it went from being a lovely green like a shrub in a pot to being half the leaves being half the leaves being just bright yellow.
1: And did the leaves drop at all?
3: Not yet. No, they stayed. They stayed there, but. Yeah, they've just half of them have. Like, well, first night it was like a quarter of them were yellow, and then the next night, like half of them
1: were yellow. Righto. And it's in a container. Was it growing very vigorously?
3: Yeah, it grows well. I mean, the soil in isn't it? The soil in the pot hasn't been changed for years. It would no. probably be almost impossible to repot it given its root structure now. But um, yeah, it's just been ticking away. You know, we,
1: have you had a fro- yeah. Have you had a frost in the last week?
3: No, no, or, no Or frost. very
1: cold weather.
3: No, the nights have probably been, you know, down to mid-teens.
1: Yeah. Mm.
3: We, we're just a bit bamboozled as to what... <laughs> No-one's poisoned it.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, if it's growing and, and it's been healthy... Um, then we would eliminate that there's something toxic in in the soil, and if it's in a container, it's not likely to suddenly change. Unless you've poured something into the potting mix, you put on too much fertiliser, that would cause the leaves to drop probably rather than going yellow. The fact that they're going yellow to me indicates it's environmental. Something's happened in the environment around it uh, for the leaves to change, but uh, uh, you haven't taken it from sun into shade.
3: No, it's, it's um it's um, it's in a you know like uh, stone pot. It's so heavy you'd need a crane to lift it. <laughs> um, and it's mainly um in shade. You know, m- like it probably spends half the day in shade and then it goes.
1: And what about watering?
3: Yeah, it's watered. It's watered regularly. I and um, it hasn't had hasn't really been fertilized much lately because being a ficus, it just takes care of itself. It just gets some sea mungus pellets no, now. Okay.
1: Well, the only other thing I think is, is if you can uh, turn it on its side and check the drainage hole. And if you've got an old urn uh, type of a, a container, they usually only have one hole in the middle, and often that gets gunked up and the one okay. thing that could turn the leaves yellow is the fact that it's been it, it you've been watering it and the water is not and, and as with the season changes the, the, the ficus is not sucking up the water and so it's building up into the root system underneath the plant uh, okay. and i think mm. you've probably got uh, wet feet
3: okay all right. we'll uh, we'll give we'll it a try, try it and, and,
1: and if that is could you <laughs> ring back no. next week and say that was the problem i'd just be interested in that one
3: Yeah, so I've got photos of it as well, but um, yeah, absolutely. Um, We'll we'll try that this week and and see if if that's what it is. If that's not what it is, should we just, you know, use a seaweed tonic? Is that about all we can do? Uh, That's all you
1: can do is, is, yeah, I wouldn't be fiddling around with it too much. Yeah, just stimulate the root system and see whether you can't uh, actually uh, get it to grow.
0: Thanks very much for the call Travis. Uh, we've got a couple of ABC March Gardening Australia magazines to give away. If you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you'd like to get your hands on a copy, call in now 1300 22891. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and
0: Broken Hill. We are talk back gardening this morning. Now, Sandra has called in from Hacken. Now, you've got a cherry tree. What do you want to do with it, Sandra? Good morning, Deb and John. I've got a two metre high young
3: stellar cherry tree that suffered a little bit. It lost all its leaves, but now it's got green shoots coming again. But the tips of the tree are thinner, and I'm just wondering if it's too late to give it a light prune.
1: Uh, not at all. Um, well, weren't interested in why uh, it's got a bit of a check back. What happened? It dried out uh, or...? Uh...
3: No, I think because we um, used the hose, I exposed some of the top of the roots and I... Um I fixed the problem by putting some good quality compost and mulch over it and gave it some sea salt it and it's coming back with nice green shoots.
1: Okay. Right. Well, if it needs pruning, you only need to prune it for shape. If uh, uh, you do, I'm assuming you don't have dieback on it.
3: No, no dieback. No. What
1: what you need is a frame. You want a good frame. So uh, if the frame is big enough, you leave it alone. If you wanted to reduce the size of it, you could actually uh, uh, chop back uh, uh, the the main branches a little bit and that would stimulate it into um, a bit more growth probably next season. Um, If you wanted to just uh, 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 get it back uh, a little bit, I would be taking the main branches back by about 20%. But... There's no point really in, in pruning a cherry uh, unless you want to change its shape. Uh, if You you don't need to do detailed pruning uh, to get fruit. It should have little spurs on it and they will form. Um, and if you wanted to sort of get it to fruit, you'd pr- do that pruning for fruit in, in the middle of winter.
0: Thanks, Sandra, for the call. Congratulations to Deb in Murray Bridge and Ray also in Murray Bridge, unbelievably, with the two callers that have won uh, the ABC Gardening Australia magazines. Uh, We are going to take one more call. If we can quickly do it before we talk about the tomato survey. Libby from Wollonga, what would you like advice on? Good morning, John and Deb. Thanks for taking my call. I was just wondering, in the humid climates, we use these wetting what do they call it? They call it uh, the, well, closet camel or something like that that absorbs the the moisture in the house, in the wardrobes and things. And it's little white granules and you put it in the wardrobe and they absorb water and it all turns to liquid. Oh, okay. Is that suitable, Is that suitable to be
1: used well, on a garden? I, I, I don't radiation? know what's in the one that's in the cupboard, but the concept of using uh, soil-absorbing uh, crystals is very very sound and it's a wonder it hasn't really taken on but they're little crystals they absorb the yeah. moisture you put it into your potting mix and it just means that if you're not good at remembering to water your plants, you've got <laughs> something on your side. It it holds on to the water for quite some time and absorbs an amazing amount of moisture. And it it, it just uh, the the roots or evaporation just remove the moisture over an extended period. But it's very very sound. You'll find them in garden centres, and you just ask for a soil. Uh, Moisture-absorbing crystals, and uh, there are a number—not uh, many—brands uh, out there, but there's a couple out there, and they're quite good.
0: Thank you very much, Libby. Thanks to everybody for your calls and texts. Darcy from Brooklyn Park says, my tomato plants are still going. I just picked 15 more cherry tomatoes planted in December last year, still have 20 more on there. Well, Darcy, you will need to jump onto John Lamb's Good Gardening 2023 tomato season survey.
1: Yes, the survey was released yesterday morning and we've got over 560 or 70 replies already. The Important thing is we would like more gardeners if you grew tomatoes this season we really would like to get your information your contribution and it's just purely a matter of uh, uh, it's in the good gardening newsletter if you don't uh, already have the good gardening newsletter uh, it's very easy to subscribe deb will tell you how to do yes. that in in a second but uh, uh, um, it's fascinating just uh, Uh, the kind of information that's coming out and probably by this time next week I should be able to give you some uh, really good information of of some of the the messages, the take-home messages Mm. that are going to come out of this particular season.
0: The emerging messages. So the survey will conclude on the 3rd of April, Monday the 3rd and of course you'll publish the results then in the Good Gardening newsletter on that Friday um, thereafter and we'll have a chat on Saturday in the 22nd of April.
1: Yes, so, yes. It takes me a couple of weeks. Yeah, to uh, it'll, collate uh, all the information. That, that's right. Yeah, I need time to be able to ponder. And it's interesting to go back over the previous years and just see how the uh, management of, of the growing of tomatoes has changed.
0: Fantastic. Well, look, thank you, John.
1: And I think probably I'll say good gardening. <laughs>